Our scripture today comes from Lamentations chapter 2. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. My eyes are spent with weeping, my stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. This is one of the darkest chapters in the Bible, and yet it is rich with the knowledge of God, which ultimately leads us to the good news of the gospel, and we need it. This week we have dealt with the consequences of living in a fallen and broken world. This season in our church has had continued grief over the death of a newborn baby. Continue grief over the loss of children to drug overdose. The pain and the complexities of people living with deep depression, debilitating depression and job loss and loneliness. Allison and I have felt it this week through a tragic death in her extended family. We all feel it through the awareness and the increasing anxiety of the second wave of sickness and death in a global pandemic. We're living in unsettled times, in political upheaval on our whole continent. There are protests over police brutality in Nigeria. There is an ongoing war between Azerbaijan and Armenia where there are already bodies laying in the streets and they are digging more graves in the anticipation of more death. Whole creation groans under the weight of sin and grief. And if I am honest, the barrage and the pain and the difficulty of this season has left me feeling weak and sometimes a bit numb. And like many of you, I'm just tired. Yet, in God's goodness, in his perfect timing, in his meticulous rule over all things in all places at all times, the text that I was privileged to be confronted with this week and the text that you are now confronted with this week is Lamentations 2, where 2,600 years ago, God himself judged his people in brutal destruction. And we find in here the people of God in that city and in the region Weeping over the consequences of their rebellion and sin, but not so much over the rebellion and sin itself. And there's good news here in this text if we know how to look for it. And in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the death and the destruction that we see in this text, we see something about God that is still good news to us today, and I want to show it to you. We're going to look at the justified anger of God. We're going to look at the broken response of the poet, and we're going to look at the defeated cry of the city. 
The justified anger of God, the broken response of our poet, and the defeated cry of the city. So first, Lamentations 2 verse 1, the justified anger of God. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe, and has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raise a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. And in the justified anger of God, over the rebellion and disobedience of his people, God himself has given them over to their enemies. Jerusalem was sieged by the armies of Babylon and the walls and the fortifications of the city were destroyed and the temple was desecrated and demolished and some of the people were carried off into exile and the poet in Lamentations chapter 2 says it was God who did it. In Lamentations 1 we heard the voices of those who were suffering but here in Lamentations 2 we see that it is God who has acted. In his action, the city and her people are cast down and swallowed up and broken down and brought down and cut down, withdrawn from. Wrath is poured out. The city is laid in ruins. It is laid waste. The people are scorned and disowned and delivered over, ruined and broken and carried away from the city into exile. It's like the author of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We are not accustomed to hearing this. So it's a shock to the system. Sensory overload. The grief compounded on the hearts of God's people as well. But Isaiah prophesied this 125 years before it happened. The prophet Habakkuk prophesied this 37 years before it happened. 
For 40 years, the prophet Jeremiah was warning them that this was going to happen because God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word. What has happened here is not inconsistent with who he is. Sung Chan Ra said, we are reminded at this point that Israel has a history of rebellion against God. God's actions are not capricious, but instead his actions reveal a constancy and integrity of character and ultimate faithfulness to his own words and to the covenant. He says there's a constancy and integrity of character. We say, really? Yes. The poet of Lamentations 2 says in verse 17, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. See, God is constant and reveals the integrity of his character through the way he brings about the promised curses of disobedience because of the rebellion of his people who have rejected his commands and lived with their hearts far from him. Let me show you what I mean. About 800 years before all of this destruction happened, God made a promise to his people by making a covenant with them. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1 says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then he goes on at great length, expounding upon the significant blessings of obedience. But it doesn't end there. Deuteronomy 28 verse 15 says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. See, these are the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. There is a comparison and contrast being made. 800 years before he judged them in Jerusalem in this way that we see in Lamentations chapter 2, and before he brought them low before their enemies, he laid before them the consequences of their obedience and their disobedience, the blessings and the curses. And God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word. Listen to what he told them about the curses of disobedience. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. 
The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. See, in Lamentations 2, we have the poet describing what God has done to his people through the advancement of their enemy. We have the poet himself lamenting what is going on. We see the poet calling the broken down city to call out to God. And in the last three verses that we're going to look at, we have the city itself raising a cry to God over their circumstances. Why? Because God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word. He is unchanging and trustworthy. And his anger and judgment here are entirely justified. The only reason this seems like a lot to us, a lot for us to take in, is that we forget that he told his people what he would do and how he would visit them in judgment with the curses of disobedience. God takes their sin seriously and he does what he promised he would do because he is entirely faithful and consistent to his word. Where does that leave us? What do we do with the knowledge that we have fallen short of God's perfect standard? We know the waywardness of our hearts and we know the depth of our own sin So should we be waiting for punishment like this? Will God's anger be poured out on us like the wrath we see in Lamentations 2? No. 1 John 2, verse 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with our Father, Jesus Christ the Righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This word propitiation, propitiation is a wrath-removing sacrifice. Some translations will call it an atoning sacrifice. This means that on the cross, Jesus stepped into our place and absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for us. This means that on the cross, Jesus, who was innocent of all charges and sinless before God, took upon himself the judgment that we deserved, and he bore the weight of the curse of our disobedience. God put Jesus forward in our place for our sins because God, in his infinite love and in his faithfulness and consistency of character, determined to save us by judging our sin in Jesus. Christ City, hear these words of destruction and judgment from Lamentations 2 and allow them to shock you to the core. Yes, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but thanks be to God, he has already judged our sin. 1 John chapter 4, 
Verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath-removing, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So Christ City, fear not. Jesus Christ, the sinless righteous one, the one who was brought low and who was broken down in judgment, just like the city of Jerusalem. Fear not, because on the cross, Jesus was cast down and scorned and loaded with the full weight of the wrath of God for us. He too was carried away from the city and punished, but not for his sin of disobedience, but for ours once and for all. God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word, which means he needed to judge our sin and disobedience. But if you are in Christ, you have repented of sin and placed your hope and trust in Jesus. Let your heart be lifted and filled at the knowledge of the depth of the love of God for you. Because your sin and disobedience has been judged upon the cross once and for all. Friends, the wrath of God for sin can either sit upon your shoulders or Jesus. The perfect love of God, the fullness of his love toward us, means our fear of judgment, the kind of judgment we see in Lamentations 2, that that fear actually melts away in our midst and we behold the work of Christ crucified and risen. See, the good news of the gospel is that the love of God revealed in Christ displaces fear of judgment. God's love displaces our fear of judgment. Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he move our transgressions from us. God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word so we can trust him and no longer need to fear his judgment. That is the justified anger of God against sin. But secondly, what do we see here about the broken response of the poet? This is so important for us. It's difficult to see the depth of the the destruction that God's people endured in this season, but the good news of the gospel of Jesus that I just told you can't actually take hold, can't really take hold of our hearts until we understand how bad the bad news really is. 
Look at the response of the poet. He, he finishes off his description here of what has happened in Jerusalem. In verse 10, he says, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads. They put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. See, he sees the state of the city and he is personally overwhelmed. And he talks about his overwhelming grief in verse 11, the very next verse. He says, my eyes are spent with weeping, my stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. See, he goes beyond just narrating the story. And the destruction becomes personal to him. He weeps and he is sick to the stomach over the pain and the sorrow that he has witnessed. Christ City, this is personal. This lament is personal. And until lament becomes personal to you, you won't be able to take hold of the fullness of the hope we have in Christ. When I went through the darkest season of my life as I battled depression, lament needed to get personal. I lived in the Psalms of Lament for a very long time. Psalms 42 and 43 anchored me in the midst of my pain. My tears have been my food day and night, I would read. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I told myself this time after time after time after time, and I lamented the state of the world, but also the state of my soul. I never knew how much I needed the psalms of lament until I was in the furnace of affliction myself and they became personal. I never knew how to care for anyone in depression and anguish like this until it became personal for me. Now when I see it, I can echo the cry of the lamenting poet and I can say that my, my, my eyes are spent with weeping and my stomach churns. I can mean it. Until we recognize the overwhelming badness of the bad news of our sin, we cannot begin to comprehend the fullness of the good news of the gospel. In my personal response to the curse of the law and pain and sorrow in the lives of those who suffer is no longer indifference, but I respond with the exhaustion of my tears because for me it is personal as well. Christ City, we need to learn to weep with those who weep. Look at what the poet says in verse 18. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. See, like the poet, we don't just learn to lament, we learn from lament. Do you see this? The, the, the one who laments then becomes the advocate for others to enter into lament themselves. We need advocates who will come alongside us in our suffering and say, pour out your heart to God in your pain. 
Let your tears flow without rest. Cry out in the night. Pour out your heart like water before the God who is present with you in your suffering. Lift your hands to him because he cares and he hears your cry. See, until we learn from lament, we can't learn to lament. And until we learn to lament, we cannot be advocates of those who suffer. And until we know the advocacy of Jesus' work in our place, who bore all of our sin and sorrows on the cross, we will struggle to trust God in our pain. First, this text confronts us with the justified anger of God, yet we have hope in the finished work of Christ who carried our sin and whose love means that we need not fear judgment like we see in this passage. Second, we see the broken response of the poet who learns to lament and then advocates, advocates for his people that they too come to God with their burdens. But third, we see the defeated cry of the city. These are the words of the city that has been judged. Verse 20. Look, O Lord, and see. With whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day my terrors on every side, and on the day of the anger of the Lord no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. And I want you to notice something about this heartfelt cry. This city is crying out seeking God's compassion, but this city does so without repentance for sin. It's a lament over the circumstances and the situation, but it is not a lament of the sin and rebellion that has caused it. It's a lament over the curses of disobedience with no turning to God in repentance to ask for forgiveness for that which brought the curses of disobedience about. And it's not enough. God is compassionate, but I want to say, don't come to him for his compassion alone, that he would heal only your wounds and fix only your circumstances. Come to him to save you completely from that which really afflicts you. The wounds that we see here in the cry of the city are only the symptoms of the greater problem. See, they need to be reconciled to God. What God has offered us in Christ is more than a shoulder to cry on. When we behold the crucified and risen Jesus, we don't just find a shoulder to cry on, though that is true. When we come to the crucified and risen Jesus, we behold the shoulders who bore the weight of the curse of our disobedience in our place. We don't just cast our sorrow upon him, On the cross, we cast upon him all of our sin and all of our shame. And he bore the weight of it as a means, as a way to welcome us into new life. 
He took upon himself all of our disobedience and he exchanged it by clothing us with all of his perfect obedience. There was an exchange made. He takes our curse of disobedience and he gives us the blessing of his obedience. In repentance for sin and faith in Jesus, we find a Savior who removes the fear of judgment by taking that judgment upon himself. In Jesus, we find an advocate who not only compels us to cry out to God for the pain and the curses of disobedience, but we find in Jesus an advocate who becomes a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. See God is entirely faithful and consistent to his word so we can trust him and because of the finished work of Jesus we no longer need to fear his judgment. As you now prepare to celebrate communion with your house church, I want to encourage you. Don't just lament the pain of the circumstances of life. Lament the overarching problem of sin in the world. Repent of your sin. Be reconciled to one another. Be reconciled to God. And take the body and the blood of Christ, the bread and the wine, as a sign that you are a reconciled person who needs not fear judgment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you as lovingly and as firmly as I can that the wrath of God remains on you, but that Jesus Christ, our advocate, has made a way for you to have your sin atoned for. Put your hope and faith in his finished work, and he will bring you into new life. Let me pray. Father, I ask you for your mercy I ask you that your love would fill our hearts. I ask you that we would wrestle with texts like this, always God, in light of the truth of the beauty and the splendor of the gospel of Jesus. I ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be good news people in our city, the city that cries out from the affliction of the circumstances but does not want to acknowledge the sin underneath. Oh God, would you bring renewal? Oh come Holy Spirit. Do a work in our midst that we would not believe if told. We pray this all in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen.